This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the official Fightful Boxing Podcast, recapping Canelo Alvarez versus Daniel Jacobs, the unification fight for the IBF, WBA, and WBC middleweight world titles. We just finished watching this fight. Canelo Alvarez retains his WBA and WBC titles, adds the IBF middleweight world title to his collection of titles at 160 pounds. We're going to break all of that down, as well as the rest of this entire card that was that took place on at the T-Mobile Arena on the zone, breaking down every single fight. So you want to hit – so before we get into all of what happened with Canelo Alvarez and Daniel Jacobs, the lead-up to this fight, what happened inside the fight, the controversy, or I guess lack thereof controversy, up until the face-off yesterday – to the uh, to, to the second day weight check that Daniel Jacobs actually missed, or at least he missed weight at that second day weight check. Before we get all of that, why don't you hit that subscribe button? Subscribe to our new Fightful MMA and Boxing podcast. I'm mean, you know getting a get some people in here while we get the well, while we you know get more people in. Want to. Join in the live chat. You have a comment, you have a question you have for me regarding this fight, regarding anything boxing. This has been a very big weekend week uh, overall of boxing where we had multiple big fights take place on Thursday uh, in Las Vegas to tonight. Lots of lots to break down. So subscribe to our new – hit that subscribe button. Leave us a thumbs up. Really do appreciate it. And again, thank you so much for all of you who tune in to the Fightful MMA podcast or the Fightful Boxing Podcast, all the shows that we do on the Fightful Pro Wrestling YouTube channel. All much appreciated. And now, kind of time to break down Canel Alvarez versus Daniel Jacobs. As I just mentioned, Canel Alvarez beats Jacobs to win the WBA, or at least unified the WBA, WBC. And IBF middleweight titles. And he did so by unanimous decision. A very close unanimous decision. Scores were 115-113, and 116-112. If you ask me, I had the fight in favor of Canelo, 115-113. And I think those, those, those scores were pretty respectable for the most part. There was no lack of, uh, no controversy regarding the uh, the main event. There was nothing really that, you know, Jacobs had a lot to complain about. He didn't even complain much, if at all, during the post-fight interview. So let's break down the action, what happened. So the first few rounds between Canelo Alvarez and Daniel Jacobs were very, were much of a, um, kind of a chess match, if you ask me. It was not, not you know, the explosive, you know, war between two great punchers that, you know, the buildup kind of made it seem like it was really, and it, and I did kind of expect that. I thought, you know, for the first few rounds, both guys were kind of establishing their rhythm, setting the pace, seeing how, what they can do with the jab. Jacobs was really trying to work the jab early in the fight. Didn't really get much going there as he kind of, he, he tried to throw punches. He I, he, I believe he outthrew 
Canelo Alvarez for that entire fight, especially in the first half of the fight. But Canelo Alvarez, you know, credit to him. He had a great defensive game plan uh, tonight. He really, you know, his game plan was amazingly just, you know, moved ahead. It's constantly being moving around the ring. It didn't really do much, you know, that kind of wowed anyone. But what he did well, Canelo Alvarez, on the defensive side is that he didn't let uh, Daniel... Daniel Jacobs kind of get into an easy rhythm where he would would throw punches and and got to a point where he kind of frustrated Daniel Jacobs into sort of adjusting his game plan on the fly. It was kind of kind of weird. Nothing. Uh, it was you know he, he Daniel Jacobs went to Southpaw a couple of times and didn't really perform that well uh, on, on the Southpaw. Stance and, and what I don't understand why he kind of did that as he really wasn't trying to, you know, he really wasn't trying to to do much against Canelo Alvarez. And at this moment, I, I do think that you know Jacobs was trying to sort of maybe if I if I change stances, maybe it'll make a, a Canelo Alvarez a little. I don't know what trying to do. It was it, it was very bizarre, but. Well, quite frankly, I, I'm not sure what the game plan was trying to go into South. I didn't really do much in the middle rounds. Quite into the seventh, eighth rounds, that's where we kind of saw Daniel Jacobs really, really do well because he was starting to have a much easier cha- uh, much easier time kind of throwing punches at, at Canelo Alvarez. I don't know if Canelo Alvarez was gassing out or, you know, he was sort of maybe taking the, the foot off the gas pedal just a little bit, but Jacobs felt more comfortable throwing upstairs, utilizing the jab, pressuring Canelo Alvarez. And I think that was the key thing. Daniel Jacobs pressured Canelo Alvarez to the ropes multiple times in the second half of the fight. And and I, I kind of understood that, you know, maybe if Daniel Jacobs had done that, for early in earlier in the fight, he could have actually won this on the scorecards, which you know, it's, it kind of seems you know really, really incredible to think that Daniel Jacobs had he done just a little bit more in those first six rounds, he could have be walked away with the three middleweight world titles. But as he said in the post-fight interview, he was he, he was having a hard time, kind of trying to figure out. What Canelo Alvarez's pace was going to be for the fight? Uh, I don't remember if it was Daniel Jacobs or Chris Mannix who said that, but uh, Daniel Jacobs, but Canelo Alvarez is going to a pop shot fighter or whatever is it, the language that he used to describe Canelo Alvarez. He's the kind of guy that he doesn't really. He's not the type of guy that will throw a thousand punches in the fight. How what he does is he he's so accurate. He he pinpoints his, his punches to the point where. When he lands, it it makes it seem like they really do something, and they really they, those are punches where the judges do you notice, and that's one of the things that I think favor. You know, a lot of people were kind of thinking about when predicting Canelo Alvarez winning. It's not so much that the judges would have a or have, have a certain favoritism towards Canelo Alvarez, but because Canelo's style offensively is, you know. Judge friendly, not in the sense where where it's kind of like Floyd Mayweather, where he's just he's a defensive genius. He he frustrates his opponents and he doesn't respond to the point where his opponents don't do anything well against Floyd Mayweather, and he and Floyd just wins via you know with technical prowess. 
Canelo does this with more power, and every time he throws this shot, it, it kind of it stands out more. And the way I'm looking at this fight, and I think Canelo Alvarez, you know, did really well in the first half of the fight. I think his footwork, I thought his defensive uh, defensive game plan was outstanding. He did not let uh, Daniel Jacobs land really anything. And it just got to the point where there was nothing Jacobs could do in the first few rounds that really could, you know, swing the fight a lot in his favor, but I, I just thought that this fight really was, it was okay, nothing too great. Um, I, I said this right before the fight, that this that I thought this fight was going to be good. I thought that this fight was going to be just a little bit below Canelo Alvarez versus Gennady Golovkin, and I do mean both fights in terms of quality, and we kind of kind of got that. We got some moments in the fight where there was a lot of good exchanges. Uh, I believe it maybe the eighth round, where it was, you know, where the last minute, or actually you can say this probably the entire round, where both guys just really let their hands go. They were really throwing punches out there. But one thing about it, but, you know, they, we didn't really see a whole lot of it throughout the whole fight. It was, the crowd was booing uh, at various points in the fight, especially in the 11th round early on when Canelo Alvarez and Daniel Jacobs were kind of just trying to ease things Sort of a normal pace, nothing too frantic. And I think that's kind of where I think Daniel Jacobs started losing the fight, where at moments he was maybe not hesitant, but he just didn't think that he could, you know, he, he should throw more than he did. Again, he did out through, he, he outworked Canel Alvarez at certain points in the fight, but it doesn't really translate to landing good enough shots with the, where the judges are going to, you know, take notice and score the rounds in your favor. A lot of Jacobs' rounds where he did really well against Canelo Alvarez, they were more towards working the body. And when you're talking about a 12-round fight, a 12-round championship fight against a guy like Canelo Alvarez, working the body doesn't really do much in your favor. It doesn't really do much overall when it comes to judging a fight. Not saying that body punches don't matter, but when you're a judge and you're kind of looking up and your field of vision may not be you know, at, at its most optimal point body shots don't really stand out much to you and canelo alvarez he threw a lot of big shots upstairs instead of to the body he did throw a lot of good shots to the body but a lot of the shots that you notice were more towards you know towards the face upstairs you know towards the chin and overall i thought that canelo alvarez did a lot that did, did had a great plan he executed uh, thoroughly, for the most part, I thought he, I thought he didn't do that well throughout the last four or five rounds of the fight. Maybe he, although he did kind of take the twelve on my scorecard, and I think that may have been what won it for the you know, on the scorecards who scored at one fifteen, one thirteen. I still don't know how much uh, I, I still have not seen any uh, scorecards of the fight. I don't know if. That's already been available, uh, readily available. I'm I'm gonna try to see if maybe there is, but look, but I would assume that the two judges scored at one fifteen, one thirteen, had scored the fight in favor of Canelo. So that's so really, it's again, it had that last round. Had Jacobs done that, worked that last round, maybe even get a knockdown. 
Who knows? Maybe we could have seen a new unified middleweight champion. But it's not. It's Canelo Alvarez. I personally thought Canelo Alvarez was going to win this fight in the uh, by unanimous decision. And it turns out I, I was pretty much right on, on the button, although a lot of people kind of had Canelo Alvarez winning through that same method. After the fight, Canelo Alvarez kind of asked about what's next for him. There really is a lot of names that are not just at 160, but at 168. He does hold the WBA regular super middleweight title. He still has options up there. There are a lot of good names uh, at that weight class from John Ryder to Callum Smith, where the zone, where, uh, where, where they are with the zone, and they can make that fight uh, a lot easier. As far as what he thought, you know, Canelo Alvarez kind of gave a real non-answer. Uh, you know, they they kept saying, you know, get kind of, you know, I'm okay with whoever. I just want the biggest fights. Uh, you know, whoever comes in my way, I want to be the undisputed middleweight champion. Yada yada yada. And nothing that really we haven't heard already before. And Chris Mannix, you know, and you can this is where you can really tell the zone desperately wants Canelo Triple G three. In September, because Chris Mannon has asked a follow-up question about Gennady Golovkin, and and, and Canelo was like, "All right, if, if they want, if people want Canelo Triple G three, I'll give it to them. I'll beat them." Which is kind of like it was more of a "All right, all right, if you guys wanted that badly, we'll do it." But it's not something that's on my radar at this moment. There's a lot of good names uh, between 160 and 168, as I just mentioned. Not just from the 168 guys, the Cam Smith and John Ryder. There's also, again, Gol- there's uh, Golovkin. Demetrius Andrade, who's defending his WBO middleweight title uh, in June against Masir Sulevsky. And, you know, and, and, and Andrade, he's the last piece of that middleweight unification puzzle for Canelo Alvarez. Canelo Alvarez is just one title away from becoming the undisputed champion, and that means he has to fight Demetrius Andre or, or the winner of Andre versus Suleski uh, this summer uh, for Canelo Alvarez to become the undisputed middleweight champion. I don't know if the if Canelo Alvarez is going to really get that fight in September, which is what I guess every that's the plan right now is for Canelo Alvarez to defend his title uh, in September. The question is which title, because if he's not against Golovkin in September or against Andre, then there's really not much of a point for Canelo Alvarez to be at 160 when he can just simply maybe make the attempt to. Maybe face uh, John Ryder, who won the interim title on the undercard, or even Callum Smith, which I think that would be an excellent fight. But, you know, that's nothing that was too extravagant, and there was no drama. There was nothing that a lot of people, you know, could take away from that post-fight interview. But overall, I, I thought that, you know, this was a good fight between Ken Alvarez and Daniel Jacobs, but it's, let's be honest, it's nothing that... Um, uh, that you know that really is going to be remembered for years and years to come. However, what is you know something that we'll remember uh, for 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 a good while is the, some of the fights on this undercard. Uh, breaking down, let's and you know let's go down. Let's move uh, you know from forward to back from the most re- from the co-main event, and we'll work our way back to the start of the card. 
This is a co-main event, Virgil Ortiz Jr. versus Mauricio Herrera. This is a welterweight bout, but Virgil Ortiz is a highly touted undefe uh, undefeated prospect who is one of, you know, Golden Boy Promotions' is, you know, Golden Goose's uh, Golden Geese. Uh, for the future, he is actually he's like more of a junior welterweight, but he took a welterweight fight against Mauricio Herrera for tonight. Uh, Ortiz, good my goodness, he landed a vicious hook upstairs that you know, and knocked Mauricio Herrera standing like he was knocked out. His I said this on Twitter, Virgil Ortiz Jr. knocked the soul out of Mauricio Herrera, and I thought the this was an excellent way to introduce Maury to her, um, Virgil Ortiz into the 140-pound title picture. Even though this was a 147, Ortiz is more of a natural 140 guy at this point in his career. He wants to go back to 140 to have a couple of fights and maybe challenge for a world title. He feels ready for it. He looked really, really good in this fight against a guy like Maurizio Herrera, who a lot of people thought he should have beaten Dan in a world title fight. Uh, and a lot of people thought Herrera was screwed out of that fight. And ever since then, it, it kind of feels like Mauricio Herrera, his career has kind of like spun. I don't know if it's spun out of control would be the right appropriate term, but Herrera does not seem, you know, he was crushed after that Danny Garcia fight. And his, he has looked nothing. He, he hasn't looked like the same fighter since then. And Virgil Ortiz Jr. may have sent Maurice Herrera into retirement. And really, for Herrera, he is a really good gatekeeper. But at this point in time, it's kind of, you know, not much to say about uh, what's left for Maurice Herrera's career. He did a lot, he did real well uh, for himself. You know, interim title holder, the, you know, almost beat Danny Jacobs. To, some say he should have beaten Danny Jacobs. But right now it's Virgil Ortiz Ortiz time, and he only wants 40 pounds. And the way he performed tonight, I kind of thought that maybe it's now time to sort of take the brakes off, you know, take off the, the training wheels, so to speak, and make Virgil Ortiz into a real star, a real title contender at 140 pounds. And overall, I'm looking at the rankings at, at 140 pounds, and there's a lot to look at. There's a lot to break down. And for Virgil Ortiz, He's ranked number nine by the WBO, and the world champion by the WBO at that weight class is Maurice Hooker, who fights on the zone. He, does, he still doesn't have an opponent for a planned summer title defense, so that could potentially be in the plans for Virgil Ortiz and Maurice Hooker. We don't know. There's still a lot to kind of see what's next for Virgil Ortiz. You know, I don't know if Golden Boy Promotions wants to really throw Virgil Ortiz out into the Wolves. Yes, yes, yeah, maybe they'll spend the rest of the year really building him up into being a true title contender. He's 13 fights into his career, which is incredible, but there's a lot of guys with similar records or, or a similar age as he is that are really doing that well for himself where they are there. They feel ready to potentially fight for a world title. Uh, Andrew Huntley said uh, uh, on our live chat, thank you, Andrew Huntley saying Herrera got dominated by Frankie Gomez and has been on the downside for a while. Still, Virgil did well to freeze him solid within three rounds. I agree. I mean, look, Herrera again has done well for himself, but really, he has not looked the same fighter that he was a few years back. Obviously, he's past his prime, but even then, this fall from grace has kind of looked a little off. For a guy like Marizo Herrera, who is a really good fighter, but I think at this point it's kind of, you know, it, this might be it for Marizo Herrera in terms of being 
a, a solid name out there. But it's been a good career, and listen, it produced a hell of a performance from Virgil Ortiz Jr., an excellent knockout. So, hey, we'll, we'll see what's next for Virgil Ortiz Jr. But, hey, he's not the only guy with Jr. in his name who won a big fight on the undercard. Actually, he's one of three guys. And the second one was Joseph Diaz Jr., who dominated Freddy Fonseca, uh, stops him in the, in the seventh round to win the WBA Gold Super Featherweight title, whatever the hell the gold title means, because it's... I don't know what the, really. I don't know what that is. I don't know if it's some sort of uh, elevated interim title or you know not as good interim title. No one knows what the hell the WBA gold title is, but that's a separate conversation for another day. For, Joseph Diaz Jr. is fighting at one thirty. He previously challenged for a title at one twenty six against Gary Russell Jr. He challenged for a secondary title one twenty six against Jesus Rojas and. You know, it became abundantly clear at that point that Diaz was not doing that well as a 126-pound uh, guy. And his true potential lies at 130 pounds, where, you know, where you have guys that are kind of thinking about making the jump from 130 and above, where maybe a, a guy like Vir uh, Joseph Diaz Jr. could potentially come in and, uh, and take advantage of, of some of those champions at 130, he's already called out IBF title holder Tim Farmer out for a fight. And the two had a real heated exchange a couple of days ago after the undercard press conference. And I, I got to be honest, the way Joseph Diaz performed, and he dominated this fight, I thought he was going to you know, end this fight a little sooner. He, he dropped... Freddie Fonseca in the sixth round, and I, I thought that the fight could have been stopped right there. Freddie Fonseca looked like he was out of there. There was nothing he was going to do that was going to hurt Jojo Diaz. But regardless, the seventh round came. Jojo dominated. He, he just landed punches with ease, and it came to the point where it wasn't the referee to stop the fight. It was Freddie Fonseca's corner who threw in the towel. But the problem is they threw it to the back of referee Kenny Bayless. I think it was Kenny Bayless. He, he was to his back, so he didn't see it. So so Jojo kind of looked at, at the towel being thrown, hesitated for a quick second, then continued punching away until someone from the commission had to, you know, jump into the ropes and, you know, point to Kenny Bayless that the towel has been thrown just to ensure that first Fonseca doesn't get real hurt out there. Luckily, he didn't get hurt, uh, or at least didn't get hurt too badly. And Jojo Diaz looked good. He called out Tevin Farmer. That's a fight I really want to see. And let's be honest, that that's a more realistic fight for Tevin Farmer at this point in time. The, the, uh, I think one or two points in the broadcast. They they kept talking about, I mean, Tevin Farmer, he could face Gervonta Davis at this point. Let's stop. It's not going to happen. At, at least anytime soon, it's not going to happen. It's becoming abundantly clear that Ted Farmer is not interested in Gervonta Davis after calling him out multiple times, after the two had a real heated heat rivalry, and the months building up to Ted Farmer winning, uh, or at least or actually he, his first title challenge for the IBF belt and was unsuccessful after the scorecards were really wacky and then Kenichi Ogawa also failed the drug test, but in the month leading up to that, there was a lot of real animosity, and that's where the real, you know, real calls for that fight to happen. 
What happens? The fight never between Davis and Farmer was never made. Then Farmer moved on to the zone. Gervonta Davis went to uh, remain with PBC and made with the promotions. And Eddie Hearn, try as he might, he tried to get Gervonta Davis. He kept saying to the public, I'm going to offer you a real big contract for you to just to fight Kevin Farmer. Gervonta Davis said, no, thanks. I'm good. I'm good here in PBC. Well, I'm here with I'm good with Showtime Fox, you know, Floyd Mayweather promotions. And Tim Farmer was a little was a little insulted upon all of this because he kept hearing that his promoter and he heard kept saying, Oh I mean, you know, we're gonna offer John to Davis a lot of money, and then Tim Farmer kept saying, No, hey, what about me? I want that money. And so I became at that point that he didn't want that fight anymore. And I think this narrative should be done with Tim Farmer versus the Jojo Diaz. As is about as good as he can get at this moment at 130 uh, pounds. And I think it's good. It's a good fight. Jojo Diaz has really looked good in his two fights at 130 pounds since those unsuccessful title challenges at 126 pounds. And I think that's a, that's a reasonable fight to make. That's a, I don't know if it's a 50-50 fight, but I think Joseph Diaz Jr. has stands a real good chance at winning the IBF title right then and there. So opening fight of the main card, Lamont Roach Jr. versus Jonathan Okendo for the unified WBO International and NABO Super Featherweight titles. Uh, uh, This is another fight where you have a Golden Boy promotions guy undefeated, kind of making the jump up uh, to real title contendership, and Virgil Ort and Lamont Roach Jr. look good in here. He, uh, you know, he really, you know, had a real good outing in the last few rounds against Jonathan Okendo, I thought, you know, the scorecards read 97-92, 97-92, 96-93. I thought that that was way too wide for Lamont Roach Jr. I actually had Jonathan Okendo winning 95-94, but let's be honest, but listen, this was a case of, I, I'm my own theory, I'm not, I'm not saying that there's uh, something fishy, but Lamont Roach Jr. is the house is the A side on this fight. He looked better in the last few rounds uh, of the contest. He, you know, this is a Golden Boy Promotions card headlined by Canelo Alvarez, and we are in Las Vegas. I'm just saying these things happen, and I thought Jonathan Okendo did real well. The whole the, Okendo's game plan was to work the body and kind of hurt. John, uh, Lamont Roach from you know with inside work, and it kind of a bit of a callback to what he said at the start of the uh, of this podcast. When judges are scoring a fight and they're looking up, they don't have the best field of vision. They're not looking at the fight at the optimal angle that we people watch on TV or at least from inside the arena at a at eye level. You miss some of those body punches. And I think this was a case where the judges weren't able to fully appreciate what Jonathan Okendo was able to do. Because you look at Okendo, and a lot of the fights, it was, especially the first six rounds, it was, you know, Okendo goes in the inside, throws a couple of body shots, and, and, and Lamont Roach would just kind of clinch. So when you're looking, so when you're a judge, and you're looking at that fight, and you're, and you're, and the, what the thing that's in front of you is Lamont Roach's back. You can't see what Jonathan Okendo is doing. You just can't. So you can't really say, oh, well, I mean, Jonathan Okendo clearly won this fight when you haven't really seen what Jonathan Okendo truly did. 
And I thought, I, I don't know if you could call this a robbery because Lamont Roach really did well in the last few rounds of the fight. He hurt Jonathan O'Kendall a couple of times. He started to working upstairs when he was given space to work with. He really let his hands go, really working the jab, splitting Jonathan O'Kendall's defense. But there was nothing really spectacular about this uh, about this fight except that the crowd didn't like the decision because they saw it as I did. That Okendo did a lot better than what the judges gave him credit for. But unfortunately, it's uh, Lamont Roach moving forward. It's a real damn shame because Jonathan Okendo is 35 years old. There's not a lot of uh, left in him in terms of career. And this could, this may have ended his chances at fighting for a Super Featherweight World title. The winner of this fight could have potentially been the next man in line for the winner of the Masayuki Ito versus Jamel Herring fight. Uh, for the WBO Super Featherweight title taking place, uh, I believe, next month or in July. I can't remember off the top of my head. My whole my whole head has been focused on the Las Vegas fight that that I can't seem to remember right now about the, the zone, uh, about anything that isn't a the zone fight at this moment. But overall, I thought maybe the, um, there was nothing that I thought that, listen, Jonathan Kendall did real well in the first half of the fight, but he really... But he didn't do enough, in my opinion. He, re he It was, again, he threw a couple of punches on the inside, and the Lamont Roach clinched. I'm not saying that John... Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Kendall didn't do enough to win because I thought he did, but couple that with the way judges score a fight and the way and the way Okendo's game plan worked, it was it didn't look good for for Jonathan Okendo to win. What didn't help was the fact that late in the fight, Okendo kind of kind of threw his head in and he was deducted a point. Very very iffy. I didn't think he should have been deducted a point. Even the broadcasters who at this point uh, seemed very pro-Golden Boy, they thought, even Sergio Moro was saying, listen, I don't think that that should have been enough uh, to, to dock a point. So overall, I thought that this fight could have gone either way, although I did think that Jonathan Akendo won the fight. But it was close. I don't know if this was, if you're Oscar De La Hoya, you look at that fight, and you think to yourself, I don't think you're going to fight Masi Time will tell, but I, I do think that Virgil Ortiz is not ready for for the for at least not at this moment. 
Moving on to the undercard, the prelim card, uh, very interesting. So we have maybe one of the biggest upsets uh, that we'll, we'll see in the last few months. Anthony Young beats Saddam Ali with a late third-round stoppage, becomes the new USNBC Silver Welterweight title. And for those of you wondering, yes, that's a real title. It is a regional silver title. It's very bizarre, but you look at the lineage of the title, it's very, very bizarre because you have Jerron Ennis and Ramon Alvarez, Canelo Alvarez's brother, as previous title holder. It's very, it's a very weird lineage and a very weird title. What wasn't weird was the fight itself. Anthony Young hurts Saddam Ali from the start of the fight. He, it, it, Saddam Ali looked shot. From the get-go, I don't know what was wrong with him, but he didn't look good a- at all. I don't know if he if it was just him trying to rush into a fight or didn't take uh, Anthony Young seriously. But Anthony Young was real hungry out there in the ring, performed extremely well, scored a major, major upset against a former world title holder. And let's not remember, and let's not forget, Saddam Ali as the smaller fighter. Beat Miguel Cotto in his retirement fight to become the WBO Junior middleweight champion. But looking at the Saddam Ali career trajectory arc, it's very, very weird. He goes, you know, he becomes, you know, a a welterweight fringe contender. Goes up to 154, beats Miguel Cotto. Was supposed to fight Liam Smith. And looking back, with hindsight being 2020. I think Liam Smith would have beat uh, Saddam Ali. Again, that's uh, that's hindsight beat 2020. Liam Smith goes down with an injury. In comes Jaime Munguia. He just batters away at Saddam Ali. Drops him four times. It almost could have killed him if, if the fight was allowed to keep going. And at this moment, and Saddam Ali loses the title. And Saddam Ali, let's face it, he's shot. He's down. He's never, he hasn't recovered. From that fight, from that loss to Jaime Munguia. And, you know, it's kind of sad to see a fire former world champion have a fall from grace as hard and as quick as he did. But that's the true Sadama Lee. I don't know. There, there's, I don't, I don't want to say like his, his, his chances at, a world, at another world title opportunity are done. But, you, but in a loaded welterweight division where none of the title holders are on the zone, Three of them are, well, technically four, if you count Manny Pacquiao's WBA regular title. Four of them are with PBC. The fifth one, Terrence Crawford, is with top rank. At this point, and, and the problem is, Saddam Ali can't go to 154, even though there is a title holder that the zone has at 154, because Saddam Ali is a small junior middleweight. It's a small junior middleweight. He was a small junior middleweight when he fought Cotto and lucked out and had the, the performance of his life. Like Miguel Cotto, who tore his bicep uh, late in the fight. And and I'm just thinking to myself, it's it. This is it for Saddam Ali. And I don't know what's next for him. I don't know if Saddam Ali knows, even knows what's next for him. I don't, I don't think he's going to retire, but his career... It's gonna be in limbo for for the next couple of years, in my opinion. As he kind of kind of tries to work his way back on. At this point, calling him a fringe contender is not even is not even enough to describe uh, Saddam Ali at this point. Uh, Manny Rodriguez on our live chat. Thanks for uh, chatting in. He says, "Can't wait to watch Naoya Inoue fight in the World Boxing Super Series." Yes, uh, I I am excited for that fight. Naoya Inoue versus Emmanuel Rodriguez. 
Really excited for that fight uh, taking place in a couple of weeks in Scotland. Really excited for that one. Uh, but yeah, move, going back to Saddam Ali, man, I, I don't know. I just thought that this fight uh, showed that this is it for uh, for Saddam Ali and, and his career as a world title contender, regardless of what weight class he is. He's not going to 140 pounds. Uh, he's not going to 154. And if he's staying at 147, there's nothing for him out there. He not only has to work his way back up to fringe contendership, he's, he then has to work his way back up to contendership and convince one of the PBC guys or Terrence Crawford at a top rank to give him a shot at a title. And I just don't see that happening. So, you know, he'll keep fighting. At this point, it's it's now starting to be, it's anomaly entering gatekeeper status, which again is amazing considering that it was less than 18 months ago when he defeated Miguel Cotto to win a world title. So we'll, we'll see what's next. But but I spent a lot of time talking about Saddam Ali. I want to give credit to Anthony Young because, goddamn, boy, that Anthony Young looked real good out there. He was he was aggressive. He pounced on Saddam Ali from the start of the fight. And don't, ex- don't, don't think that Anthony Young isn't going away a- anytime soon. Because he's on a healthy win streak. I'm, I'm counting right now how many wins he has right now. Uh, nine, I believe. Nine wins in a row. Nine or ten. He's 31 years old. He's kind of entering, you know, uh, right now BoxRec has him up as three, number 396 at welterweight. I think that's a little bit unfair. Uh, I'm not saying that he's he's, he's, he's going to be now immediately a dark horse to watch out for uh, in terms of title contendership, but I think He's a guy that I think has earned the right to have a few more of these types of uh, fights against names up in the level of Saddam Ali. He's definitely earned the opportunity to get those type of fights. And, you know, what? congratulations to uh, Anthony Young. A tremendous performance out there. He's a guy who who really has worked hard since being stopped uh, twice between 2014 and 2016. So. We'll see. So it's it'll be interesting to see how Saddam Ali uh, goes from here, and Anthony Young as well. I think he's gonna. I think Anthony Young could potentially be a guy that we'll see fairly soon on one of these boxing car, uh, Golden Boy or the Zone boxing cards uh, in, in the near future. So we got about three fights left: John Ryder versus Bilal Akawi for the interim WBA super middleweight title. Uh, originally, this fight was supposed to be John Ryder versus Dale Lemieux, but Lemieux suffered a right-hand injury in, weeks before the fight. In, in comes Bilal Akwe, another Golden Boy Promotions guy, who actually is a teammate of Canelo Alvarez. He's been with uh, Eddie Reynoso for some time now. He's He's been real good as an up-and-coming prospect at under 68 pounds. May have been rated a little bit too highly after, by the WBA by this point in his career. And it kind of shows in this fight, but uh, he looked good. You know, he, he was a solid prospect, but coming in as a late replacement against John Ryder, uh, you know, the, the odds were stacked well against him, and John Ryder made Bilal Akaway pay, dominated the fight. Uh, almost from you know from the second round onwards, he hurt Bilal Akwe, stops him in the third round uh, to win the interim super middleweight title. I know a lot of people will not consider this is not a real title. It's an interim title, uh, and John Ryder won it against the backup option uh, because Lemieux was the original opponent. But don't be surprised 
that John Ryder could maybe have potentially won himself a shot against Canelo Alvarez. Because as I mentioned earlier, Canelo Alvarez does hold the WBA regular super middleweight title, the secondary world title, and I'm still and it's still a mystery why the WBA continues to have to have these regular secondary interim gold, whatever titles they, they like to throw uh, up next. Uh, a few uh, boxing folk and I were on Twitter were were, were talking about what, what what next title the WBA uh, was going to throw into our faces next, and and I I said God I forgot what it was, but it was something. But I said something like the like the interim. Uh, the interim uranium Dennis Denny's Grand Slam regular uh, copper WBA title because at this point who the hell knows what title the WBA is going to come up with next. But John Ryder is the interim title, and the next title holder up by the WBA at 168 pounds is Canelo Alvarez. I'm not saying that's the next fight next. It could happen down the line, maybe. But the way you look at it is. John Ryder is the matchroom boxing guy. He's the guy made uh, promoted by Eddie Hearn, and therefore he's the zone fighter. Canelo Alvarez holds a secondary title at 168, and if he doesn't get Demetrius Andre or Golovkin next at 160 pounds, there's nothing for him to do at 168. So why not have you know maybe go down to Mexico, maybe go uh, have. Go out and sell out Estadio Azteca. That's a, that. That'd be a real interesting sight to see. Uh, Canelo Alvarez go down to Estadio Azteca, which could potentially hold like well over a hundred thousand people, uh, as we've seen when Julio Cesar Chavez did. Well, I forgot what it was like one hundred forty thousand people uh, a couple of decades ago, all a long time ago, and. Why not have Canelo Alvarez kind of say, oh, hey, I, I'm an active champion at 168. I'm willing to defend both titles, uh, the both uh, titles at both weight classes uh, when need be. And, you know, and hey, John Ryder is a guy where he looked well enough in this fight to kind of warrant a look by Canelo Alvarez. I think he's, John Ryder's like plan D. In terms of September, uh, Mexican Independence Day weekend opponent for Canelo, but the way he performed tonight, it was enough to make him a potential backup option. Like obviously, John Ryder probably wasn't even on anyone's radar, but the fact that now he is as a potential. All right, Canelo Alvarez is you know he's got nothing better else to do if he doesn't get Andre or Golovkin next. He, that's that the reason why John Ryder. Gets could potentially get a big fight next. As far as his chances of beating Canelo Alvarez, eh, let's face it. I mean, it's maybe about as well as Rocky Fielding. We all saw how that turned out, but hey, maybe I'm wrong. Um, maybe I'm wrong. But hey, kudos to John Ryder. Excellent performance tonight against Bilal Akawi. Uh, early prelims. There's uh two more fights left. Arama Vanyan uh, defeats Francisco Esparza by unanimous decision to retain the WBC International Silver Featherweight title. And I'm saying this title uh, distinction just to be, just for people who, are, who may be a little confused because the WBC on their official website and on BoxRed, they say international silver title. But they only said, uh, but they, uh, I believe, Joe Martinez, the ring announcer said the uh, WBC silver featherweight title. It's a very weird. These kinds of silvers, regional titles, they're all very weird, as evidenced by the USNBC silver title win uh, by 
Anthony Young early uh, in the broadcast. But yeah, so Avanyan gets dropped from Francisco Esparza in the second round of the fight. It, it, it became real interesting because Avanyan look, was looking good in the first round. Then he suddenly gets dropped in the second round. And as far as it kind of took those, uh, the next couple of rounds and really started to take advantage and really capitalize on that knockdown, didn't do enough because Avanyan, you know, had a furious rally in the entire second half of the fight and wins somewhat comfortably on the scorecards uh, 97-92, 96-93, and 96-93, and his title. Avanyan's a guy who... Maybe not a lot of people are calling right now as a potential title challenger. I don't think he is right. Uh, I don't think he is a title challenger challenger yet. He's not even ranked by the WBC. He holds the WBC regional title and is still not ranked by the top 15. So that kind of tells you where he stacks up in the in the featherweight division. He still has a long ways to go. He's maybe about a year and a half away at minimum from being a guy that we can really start talking about maybe potentially being in the conversation. But here's the problem. 18 months from now, things can change drastically for better or for worse for Avanya. So uh, I don't know what's, you know, for Avanya, he's going to keep getting these types of Francisco Esparza type of fights as, you know, he progresses throughout his career. He's still young. He hasn't really done, you know, he, he's not someone that, you know, is this major prospect, uh, he, I believe he was a, a Olympic boxer, but but it's nothing like. But Avanyan's as a pro still hasn't done enough to sort of convince anybody that this is someone to watch out for. Uh, he he did have a he was he was coming off of a draw against Evgeny, uh, I believe Evgeny Smirnov uh, in his last fight. So you know there, there's he's faced a couple of decent names. Uh, throughout his career so far, he did fight Emmanuel Lopez, who I don't think a lot of people do recognize, but he's a guy who has, you know, he has been sort of at that kind of regional title level. He's fought the likes of uh, Carlos Padilla, Jose Cepeda, and, you know, obviously getting a big win, a fairly dominant win against Emmanuel Lopez last year. I think that bodes well for Avanya's uh, prospects and ability to perform well in big fights. I'm just still worried that there's still a lot left for him to do. So throwing him out into the wolves at this point in his career, uh, I think he's, I think he's still maybe two years away from being someone that hey that you can reasonably say were you know could be a potential title challenger. And lastly, last but not least. The shortest fight, actually no, the shortest scheduled fight of the night. The opening bout of the T-Mobile Arena card. Alexis Espino versus Billy Wagner. Beats him by unanimous, uh, Alexis Espino wins by unanimous decision. Drops Billy Wagner, I believe in the second or third, third round, third round if I'm mistaken. Uh, Wagner goes down and then Espino throws a punch, I believe after the bell. He threw a punch after the bell. And and he was docked the point. So the, the scorecards reads that follow, which is feels kind of a little weird. 39-35, 39-35, and 39-34. So the interesting thing is that Alexis Espino maybe got two 10-8 rounds. Or, or I guess in this case, not two 10-8 rounds, but Billy Wagner got eight, uh, got two rounds where he was given only eight points. So that kind of gives, you know, it goes to show 
just how much Wagner was dominated by Alexis Espino throughout the fight. He didn't win a single round of this fight. I had a 39-35 on my scorecard. Espino, very, very young kid. He's only 19 years old. And, you know, he's a guy, he is a long, long-term project. He, he's someone that is going to get these types of fights for the next few years as he continues to develop. But the fact that he was put on a position where a lot of people online got to see him on the The Zone uh, YouTube stream uh, of the undercard or on the Golden Boy Promotions Facebook stream of the card. And there and there were plenty of people that were watching that fight. I believe there may have been as much as like six. Uh, uh, there were a few thousand people watching that fight. So Alexis Zepino kind of getting that coverage. That's going to bode well for him for, for his career moving forward. And he's a guy that's going to get a push by Golden Boy Promotions. Uh, for the next few years, but again, that that is something that you know, Espino is a prospect, a good-looking prospect, but he is a prospect nonetheless that is going to take several years uh, down the line for for uh, for Alexis Espino to really develop into this uh, top contender that Golden Boy Promotions hopes to get someday. Again, he's only 19 years old; he's not even old enough to drink, so he's gonna he's gonna get he's gonna spend the next few years getting these types of fights and getting, you know, getting more exposure. And I like what I see from Alexis Espino. I really do. So that's about covers the entire card. Uh, quick recap again of the main event, Canelo Alvarez versus Daniel Jacobs. Alvarez wins by unanimous decision, unifies the WBA, WBC, and IBF middleweight titles uh, by unanimous decision, as I mentioned. 115-113 on two of the three scorecards, 116-112 on the third scorecard. Jacobs did real well, tremendous defensive game plan from the outset. Uh, Daniel Jacobs did real well in the last few rounds. He really made a case for himself. They could potentially made have made it a draw, but but at this point it was a little bit too tad too late. Even Jacobs from from the after the fight, you can tell from the way he was reacting and some of his questions. Listen, hey, I gave it all I got, especially, hey, I couldn't do much in the first few rounds against Canelo uh, Alvarez because I was trying to figure out what he was trying to do. And that's really one thing that you have to consider when you're fighting Canelo Alvarez is you really don't know what you're going to get from Canelo Alvarez. What type of fighter? You're going to get the uh, a technical marvel from Canelo Alvarez. You're going to get strong body work from Canelo Alvarez. So I, I don't blame Daniel Jacobs for, you know, not being as frustrated as one might have been when losing a close fight like that. Again, bravo to Daniel Jacobs. He did did well, but I don't think he did quite enough to win. But you know what? But again, I think Daniel Jacobs has done tremendously well throughout this fight and throughout this career. He, you know, very few people can say they have fought either Gennady Golovkin and Canelo Alvarez. Even fewer can say they had a very close fight, not against one of them, against both of them. In fact, Jacobs is the only one, uh, in at least in the pro ranks throughout history, to say uh, they fought both guys, and both fights were real, real close. So I don't know what is next for Daniel Jacobs. That's the interesting part, because Daniel Jacobs is a big middleweight. And after the fight, I thought that was really interesting from Eddie Hearn, to talk about what's next for Jacobs. And he mentioned a potential move up to super middleweight. And as much as we were talking about, you know, Alvarez, maybe getting, maybe moving up in weight. If he, uh, again, if he doesn't get Golovkin or, 
or Demetrius Andre next. Maybe, maybe Daniel Jacobs could potentially be the guy to face John Ryder next. Both guys are matchroom guys. Both guys are promoted by Eddie Hearn. It's not unreasonable to think that, you know, Jacobs down the line could be a super middleweight contender and even win a world title. I think he is good enough to fight for a super middleweight world title and win one. He is a, you know, he's a big, strong middleweight. And I do think up to a certain point, Cutting, having to cut to 160, maybe can affect him at a certain point. He can rehydrate as much as he wants, but it's not going to negate the fact that he's had to cut to 160 for a big guy like him. It's going to be a little tough sometimes, and sometimes you enter a fight not at 100% because of the weight cap. So maybe going to 160 will allow him to fill out a little bit more, be stronger uh, going up against the, the big names in that particular weight class. So as much as I say, can a lot of the John Ryder could be next or take place some, uh, some place down the line. Daniel Jacobs could also be in that conversation. Maybe face a John Ryder, maybe face a Cal Smith, who's also another matchroom guy who's defending his title on June 1st. Although that fight has yet to be officially announced, if I'm not mistaken. Although for the looks of it, it looks like he's going to be Cal Smith versus Hassan and Dom. But that fight has not been formally announced by Matchroom Boxing. So it's it'll be interesting to see how things go. I want to thank everyone for tuning in, leaving a, a thumbs up on the video, subscribing to our Fightful MMA and Boxing YouTube channel, heading, uh, you know, commenting on the live chat. Really do appreciate it. Uh, you know, before I sign off, if anybody else has a comment or a question you want me to answer, uh, as we're in the closing stages of this podcast, more than welcome to. You can find me on Twitter at Carlos Toro360. That's Carlos T O R O 360.com. Uh, lo- I'd love to hear what your opinions are of the fight of the broadcast overall. Uh, did you guys have any trouble uh, watching the, the broadcast? I actually had uh, a lot of moments where the broadcast just kind of buffered a little bit. And so I was maybe about a minute, a minute behind from most people on the zone stream. Uh, so I kind of got the, you know, it's funny. I, right before, like a few seconds before Michael Buffer called, uh, made the official announcement, my phone rang up and it spoiled the, 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 the results saying that Canelo Alvarez won the fight, even though I knew I had a feeling Canelo Alvarez was going to win. I, I, I knew for a fact that, I, I had a feeling Canelo Alvarez was going to win, but it's still interesting that I got spoiled the fight and that I got the 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 alert that the Canelo won before the the actual announcement appeared on my the zone stream. So it kind of gives you an idea of how behind I was with the uh, with the broadcast. The zone really needs to work on their uh, on their bandwidth or whatever it is they need uh, when it comes to the live stream because they have not looked good. Uh, in, in people's eyes, when it comes to the quality of the streams and the sta- and the stability of those streams, so hopefully this um, this fight, uh, hopefully this broadcast was a learning experience for the, the zone engineers, and maybe the quality will will improve by the time we get to June first for the Anthony Joshua fight against Andrew Ruiz, or even before that with the World Boxing Super Series uh, card in Scotland in a couple of weeks. Andrew Huntley on our live chat asks, who's your pick for Jared Hurd versus Julian Williams? Boy, 
Uh, that's an interesting fight. I, you know, I part of me had some doubts about Jared Hurd with the torn rotator cuff that he suffered, you know, in the aftermath of his fight against Eris Landilara last year. But he answered my, any doubts that I had uh, with the fight against Jason Quigley. I still think he didn't look 100%, but I would guess that was more of the rust and not being able to fully train. Uh, but but now that he has a full training camp, he's going back home. I'm going to say Jared Hurd wins by unanimous decision. I give credit to J uh, Julian Williams. He He's done real well to get back to the position that he has. Some people thought he was not never going to come back to a to real title contendership status after he got knocked out by Jermel Charlo a couple of years back. So you know, it's good. I'm happy for Julian Williams for getting this opportunity. I think J Rock didn't give Hurd a little bit of trouble, but I think ultimately Jared Hurd's going to come out on top. I think he's going to win. You want my prediction? I say by decision, one sixteen, one twelve. I think that that's I guess for now my on the record prediction of Jared Herb versus Julian Williams. So if, any, if no one else has anything left for me to talk about, that about wraps it up for this edition of the FIFA Boxing Podcast, the Canelo Alvarez versus Daniel Jacobs post-show. Hope you guys had a lot of fun watching this podcast. Hope you guys enjoyed the fights, regardless if you thought if you had Canelo win winning or not. You hope you guys enjoyed the rest of the podcast. Uh, Cinco de Mayo weekend is one of my favorite weekends of the year for boxing. And, you know, there were a lot of good things about this card. So hopefully you guys enjoyed it uh, as much as I did. So head on over to Fightful.com for all the latest news regarding pro wrestling, MMA, and boxing. Fightful Boxing Newsletter. The new newsletter is going to come out this, 30, this Thursday, recapping a very busy week with this fight. Uh, and we have a look forward into next week's. We got the Jared Hurd Julian Williams fight and the top ranked ESPN card headline by Miguel Barchard versus uh, Francisco Vargas and the rematch between Isaac Dagbe and Emmanuel Navarrete. So, as, as I mentioned, leave us a thumbs up on this video. Subscribe to our new Fightful MMA and Boxing YouTube channel where we have plenty of content for you from the MMA side to the boxing side and even on our Fightful Pro Wrestling YouTube channel where we have tons of exclusive and podcasts uh, recapping all things WWE, you know, Ring of Honor, Impact, New Japan, you name it, NXT, uh, NXT UK, 205 Live. Again, you name it, plenty of stuff to go around. Uh, on Fightful between pro wrestling, MMA, and boxing. I do want to thank everyone who tuned in at this point late at night. Uh, it's 2.11 here on the East Coast, or at least in Puerto Rico, which is the same as East Coast at this time of the year. Again, thank you everyone for tuning in, for your comments. You've been a wonderful audience, and have a great night. Have a great Cinco de Mayo. Have a great rest of the weekend, everyone. Carlos Toro of FightfulBoxing.com, signing out. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, 
the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.